Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is my colleague, Joe Healy, and we are here to talk about week 11 in college baseball. It was a busy week around the country. Uh, you know, Conference battles in the ACC, the Big 12, the SEC, you know, some really big ones like Virginia and Virginia Tech, Oklahoma State and Texas and Tennessee and Auburn. We're going to get to all of those here on this week's edition or today's edition uh, of of the podcast it was a big weekend a busy weekend around the country as as we said goodbye to april and hello to may and here at the business end of the schedule like everything feels like it has outsized implications on a conference title race on the hosting race on the the bubble race in the ncaa tournament there's just a lot happening and so we're going to dive into that uh today here on the baseball america college podcast and Joe, it just felt like this weekend your your head kind of had to be on a swivel. There was a lot happening. Last weekend maybe wasn't quite so busy, but but this weekend it really just felt like, okay, we're in the business end and and everything uh, carries a lot of weight right now. Yeah, for sure. It it certainly felt like that kind of that kind of weekend. I mean, there were there were some series that that frankly were pretty important that I just didn't see that much of because the timing was such that, you know, there were other things going on that felt like they took on greater importance. And so even though things were pretty spaced out, that's one of the things I, I do appreciate about this time of year is that like, sure, things are pretty clustered together on Fridays and things even on Sundays are pretty clustered together, but you know, Saturday you've got stuff from beginning to end. And so you, the games kind of stretch out a little bit more and, and even on Sunday, you'll get stuff like, you know, uh, the SEC network starts at, you know, two or three o'clock or, or what have you. So because there are more games on TV and getting those windows, they are a little more spread out, even though you're still kind of having them clustered together to where you can't see everything. And and yeah, it felt like a big weekend. These, these couple of weekends, this one, and then the next couple of coming up are really feel like when things start to truly come together in college baseball. And then, you know, of course you get the last week in the regular season, which sometimes can kind of feel like, uh, you know, let's just get on with this and get to the conference tournaments. Um, that's kind of the way it goes there. But the, these few weekends right here are when, you know, the, the, the postseason picture firms up a little bit. We start to really um, have an understanding of what the postseason picture is going to look like. And, and this weekend certainly felt like a step in that direction. I think part of that is because it was still early enough that, like, I can squint and imagine a lot of these teams going to regionals or hosting a regional or still winning a conference title. Like, they all still have that path. Uh, and in, in the next couple of weeks, some of those teams will fall off of being able to host. They'll, they'll just be clearly in or they'll fall off of the bubble or, you know, the conference title race will get down to two teams. And right now you can look at, at so many of these teams uh, that, that have those kinds of possibilities. And, and so I, I think that is, that is part of what made this weekend so busy. What's going to make next weekend maybe uh, potentially busy is, uh, is that dynamic. Uh, so I, yeah, a lot to talk about here and let's not belabor the point, I suppose, with such a busy weekend, Joe, let's get to it and let's start in Charlottesville, uh, Virginia and Virginia tech were playing sure what sure felt like the biggest addition of that rivalry, at least in the 21st century, possibly ever. You know, we talked about this on the preview pod, uh, both teams coming in ranked in the top 10 that had never happened before this century and you know both teams competing for hosting spots for you know acc positioning they were, they were tied in the standings and this weekend uh they, they meet in charlottesville 
Virginia Tech comes out with the win. They split the first two games. Virginia Tech won the opener on Friday. UVA comes back on Saturday with a win in Ryan Zimmerman Day. Uh, they were they were honoring UVA great Ryan Zimmerman, retiring his number. And then on Sunday, Virginia started the day uh, with four runs in the first two innings. And I kind of thought, especially considering Virginia Tech's struggles on in series finales in ACC play, they were just two and six uh, in game threes going into yesterday uh, in, in conference play. I thought, you know, okay, UVA has got a four run lead. This is just going to be another tough Sunday for Virginia Tech, but it wasn't. They were able to flip that script. Uh, they went into the bullpen. They shut UVA down the rest of the day, pretty much. And they go on and win the series in Charlottesville. First time uh, Virginia Tech beats UVA since 2015 in a, in a series. And uh, you know, Virginia Tech now is into the top five in the Baseball America Top 25, into the top five in RPI. And they are just on an incredible hot streak in ACC play. Just a, an all-around phenomenal weekend for the Hokies. Yeah, I mean, it, welcome to the big time, Virginia Tech, right? I mean, not to take anything away from them winning a series against Miami, but it, it, it kind of felt like that was the announcement of Virginia Tech, that they had been playing well to that point. They've really been playing well since they lost a series to Georgia Tech earlier this season. But the Miami series win was like everyone taking notice. And this really kind of felt like Virginia Tech really reaffirming that and making it clear that, oh, this is actually one of the best teams in college baseball. I mean, everything really kind of opened up for them after this weekend where, you know, coming into the weekend, it was like, you know, this team looks like it can host, but kind of feels like they might need a result this weekend or certainly would help. Well, now, now they're in position, like barring something unforeseen. If they continue on this track, Virginia Tech's going to be hosting a regional. They could be a top eight seed, all of the above. And that's, you know, that that's huge. And we talked going into the weekend about how this was a Virginia Tech team that had a lot of margin for error with the way they played. And I think, I think that's precisely what you saw this weekend was that margin for error coming into play because it's not like they knocked the cover off the ball. I mean, they, they put up some decent run totals. It's not like they were winning three to one but it's not like they were putting up 12 runs a game either. Like they hit the ball. Okay. Not great. Um, you know, drew Hackenberg didn't pitch particularly well in the middle of the game of the series, but they got good outings from their bullpen. You know, Henry Weicker with a big time outing, Graham fear of Ed with a couple of good outings. So the bullpen stepped up and they didn't make a single error in 27 innings. So the game, the games didn't go 100% to quote unquote script for Virginia tech because they didn't hit the ball like they normally do, but that was okay because they did a lot of other things pretty well. And when we talk about a team having a lot of margin for error, that's kind of what we're talking about where, you know, they can shape shift a little bit and win games a little different ways. And I think, I think we saw that over the weekend. And I think it also is valuable that, you know, that they Virginia tech won a game they controlled. They lost a game that Virginia more or less controlled. And then as so often happens in conference play Sunday in the series comes down to who can win this rock fight. And they won the rock fight. You know, they just got it done. Wasn't pretty necessarily, but they got it done. That's so valuable because that's kind of what you have to do to be in the position Virginia Tech's in. So it, it felt like just a, a breakthrough weekend for the Hokies. It's a team that's playing well for a long time, but I felt there was something particular, particular about last weekend that really announced them as, as one of the top teams in the sport. I thought it was really significant that they won kind of going off script, like you're saying, that, you know, if you look at what Virginia Tech had done coming into this weekend, it was a lot of 
you know, they needed to win with Griffin Green and Drew Hackenberg on the mound. Like I said, they were just two and four in game threes coming into to the weekend in conference play. Um, and you know, they, they very nearly, it, you know, it, it easily could have gone away from them when UVA goes up four to nothing in the second inning. Uh, they were able to, to right the ship there. They're a team that fields well, uh, but yeah, to play clean baseball, they hadn't played a clean ACC series this season, despite the fact that this is a team that ranks in the top 10 in the country in fielding. Uh, and this is a team that averaged coming into the weekend, 2.16 home runs per game. They hit four this weekend. Four is a nice number. You know, there's, there's no shame in that, but it's certainly, it's not what their average is. And you know, they were still able to score their runs. They were still able to, to win, even with Drew Hackenberg having the worst start of the season. Uh, and, and so I, I think all of that was, was really big. And by the way, I mean, Griffin Green only gave up one run in seven innings, so it looks like a really nice start. But he worked around a lot of trouble. Uh, and, you know, he walked four batters in that game, and he was just able to keep UVA off the board. So even, even he, like, who had a solid start, uh, it wasn't wasn't the perfect start, but he was able to go out and get it done. And, you know, UVA had only lost twice this season at home. And that was one of the reasons why I thought UVA was going to win this weekend was because they were so difficult to beat at home. So for, for Virginia Tech to go on the road and then have to do things in a different way than they've had to do them all season and still come away with the win against a team that is competing at the for all of the very same things that they are at the top of the ACC to host, to be a top eight seed, all of that. Uh, I, I thought that spoke volumes about the Hokies. And not only was this a breakthrough, I, I think there's something to what you're saying there, Joe. Like, yeah, beating Miami like made everyone realize that, okay, Virginia Tech is for real. I think this makes everyone realize, okay, Virginia Tech is even more for real. Like this is an Omaha contender kind of team. Uh, but they're on their way to a real breakthrough season. They have not been to the NCAA tournament since 2013. John Sheff has been there. Uh, you know, he was hired in 2017. 2018 was his first season. I feel like there's been a steady build under Sheff, uh, but they hadn't been able to make the postseason. And, you know, maybe they would have last year in a more normal ACC year for a long time. They, it looked like they were going to. Ultimately, they miss. Uh, you know, they've had high draft picks under Sheff. They, they've done a lot of things that, that have shown that the quality of the program is increasing, but they, they look like they are well on their way to, uh, to a true breakthrough and, and getting back. I mean, I, they, they are close to a postseason lock right now. And uh, I mean, they're, they have everything lined up for them to be a top eight national seed even. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, they, they, they hosted back in 2013, but it wasn't like this, you know, it was, a good team, but it was a team that kind of worked its way into hosting position. This is a team that you said it. I mean, this is a team that could dream about Omaha and, and nobody's going to look at them, look at them sideways. Uh, by the way, I, I, I think I figured out the fix for Virginia. Like they should just make every day Ryan Zerman day. Like who says no? Like, I mean, that, that seems like that was probably the solution there. I mean, they won on Saturday when it was Ryan Zimmerman day. So I don't really see yeah, that, and that was... seems like a bulletproof argument. That, that, that was, I believe, uh, declared by the governor. Uh, so I, I don't, I, they would have to get his approval, I believe. Yeah, I, I could like, be incorrect about that, but I think that was like a statewide proclamation. Yeah, it seems like a lot of red tape to have to go through. But anyway, they should think about it, is all I'm saying. Um, that seems to be the problem that was happening this weekend. But I mean, Virginia Tech's still going to have a Sunday problem. Like, I don't think it's going away as long as they're continue like, kind of 
grasping for things here, but like we see teams deal with this all the time. I mean, it's become a cliche that Teddy and I talk about, like there aren't as many Sunday starters as you think there are. And there are teams that do figure out a formula on Sundays. There are just as many that don't. Um, but so that's something to kind of monitor as, as time goes on. The good news in a, in a regional, especially if you're hosting it, is that you can A, set up your pitching to where, depending on who your four seed is, one of Green or Hackenberg is set up to throw that third game, the regional final, hypothetically. Or even if you don't, and you've got to throw those guys one, two, if you win those two games, the team that is coming out to face you in the regional final has played one more game than you and is theoretically not going to be in any better position than you are probably. So that's the benefit there of the regional format if you're going to host. And it's one of the reasons why hosting is, is pretty important, I think, for the Hokies. I mean, they play well at home and Blacksburg being a particularly difficult place to get to and, and, and what have you, I think is probably also an advantage for teams going there. So that's all helpful. Um, so the Sunday thing is a thing. They overcame it this weekend. I think that's big. Um, and we'll, that, that's something that we'll have to kind of continue because I'm sure they'll, st- they'll continue playing around with, with what they want to do on Sundays moving forward, because you're, you're always, you're always tinkering a little bit. And so that's, that's kind of the one thing, but on this past weekend, didn't, didn't end up mattering. I have a feeling we're going to have a month to get into this. So I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this, but if you're looking at, okay, Virginia tech is now into the top five, in the baseball American top 25 for, I believe the first time since 1982. Um, like just to give you an indication of how long that, you know, it's been since they've done something like this, but a, a top five team in may is basically by definition, a team that is capable of going to Omaha and probably competing for something while they're in Omaha. Uh, on the other hand, this is a team that has basically no postseason experience and has a clear deficiency. Uh, I don't like. I don't know what the ceiling is here, and I don't want to put a limit on them. They haven't lost a series uh, since they got swept at Georgia Tech on the opening weekend of ACC play. That was in the middle of March. On the other hand, um, I don't know that I love how they are going to match up in a super, even in a regional, depending on the draw. Uh, that said, they everything you said, Joe, is right. They play really well at home. Uh, it's uh, it's a tough place to play. Uh, they have they've made that you know at times into a uh, a really good atmosphere. It's not consistent yet, but I mean, like it, I, I could see how that would be a really tough regional environment. Uh, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll just have to see. But I, there, there are concerns I have about them as as they get into the postseason, but maybe those are unfounded. I don't know. It's uh, it, it's definitely a, a thing to, that I am tracking here as, as, as we push closer to that on the flip side, Joe UVA uh, is now in a bit of a, I don't know, rut is too strong, but so they went out to this incredible start. Uh, you know, that what we can remember, they were 26 and three when they went to Miami uh, at the start of April for a huge series. They got swept at Miami uh, and they've lo- gone on to lose. Or that, that, is, that was the start of them losing three of their last four ACC series. Uh, the, one in the, the one in the win column in that time is a sweep at home of North Carolina, but they lost at Pitt, at Miami, and now to Virginia Tech. Uh, RPI slipped to 20. They fell behind Virginia Tech in the standings. Uh, they're just in this bit of a skid here. Are you concerned? They're seven to nine over the last four weeks in totality. 
Are you concerned about UVA? Uh, yeah, a little, because I, I just think the the results don't lie here, where this is a sustained period of backsliding after nothing but one-way traffic, basically, for the f- entire first half of the season. So I, I think you have to be a little bit concerned, and it's some of the things that we've we've talked about. We don't need to completely relitigate all of that, but you know, rotation backsliding. Um, the bullpen is is pretty good, but I, you know, I, I'm starting to get a little concerned that it's dependent on a small handful of guys in the bullpen, maybe. So like that's a little bit of a concern, I guess. So, um, you know, whereas Virginia Tech, I think has it kind of expanded our understanding of how they can win games because I, I think they're pitching a little bit better maybe than we thought like maybe there's some bullpen depth here like the defense is a real asset Virginia does a lot of those same things but I you know I wonder if like if this team isn't really scoring runs like you know what what path is there for them and so I I do I do have some concerns I like the team in general I don't think it was a complete mirage how well they were playing early in the season albeit against a relatively soft early season schedule but I mean, they're in a weird spot now, like truly they've got their finals break this weekend and I could see it going either way. Like on one hand, maybe it's just time to like, you know, disconnect from baseball for a little bit for this group and like try to hit the reset button the last couple of weeks. On the other hand, there's some urgency about needing a result. You know, they've got Clemson coming up in a couple of weekends that on paper is a favorable matchup there for them to get a result on the board. Because if, if they go in there and they, especially if they sweep that series against Clemson, like I don't know what the RPI would necessarily do. It's a good RPI series against Clemson, even though Clemson's not particularly good. That would probably be, okay, we're going to host. It's fine. Like all that kind of stuff. So because there's that urgency behind that result, like on the other hand, so I could see it that you'd want to kind of detach a little bit. On the other hand, like I think there's probably some urgency to, hey, let's get back on the field and like get this figured out. So I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. They're off this weekend, but they are. And it is going to be interesting to see where is Clemson in the pecking order two weeks from now? Because while they're sitting on the sidelines, other teams are going to be making their case. And so theoretically, it's not going to help or hurt Virginia because they're not going to play much. But on the other hand, like that's just not how perception works sometimes. And so teams are going to be doing things around them. And it'll be interesting to see what we make of the Cavaliers when they come out of that. Definitely just a, it just feels like this was a, a massive series uh, in terms of, of a lot of things. Uh, and it was, uh, but just huge implications in this. And, and that's why we love this time of year. And that's why we love these rivalry series and all the rest of it. So uh, great series in Charlottesville, uh, big time win for Virginia tech as, uh, as, as that moves forward. All right, let's uh, let's turn our attention to what happened in Knoxville. Uh, Tennessee was taken on Auburn. And uh, it was, uh, you know, a, a top 25 series. Obviously, Tennessee has been what they've been. And, you know, that, that, that has been well talked about. And Auburn coming off of, or, or coming on strong here just made for a really intriguing series in Knoxville. And that's what we got. Uh, Tennessee won the opener on Friday night. Uh, if you look at the final score, you might think that it wasn't a close game at all. Uh, but Auburn actually led that game in uh, at the seventh inning stretch. And then Tennessee hit a whole bunch of home runs and went on to win 17 to four. Um, Auburn comes back on Saturday, wins that game, sets up a rubber game. Just the second time this season, 
that Auburn has, or uh, that Tennessee has had to play a rubber game. And uh, that game was close. It was three to three in the bottom of the eighth. Jordan Beck hit a home run and uh, Auburn uh, can't answer. Tennessee goes on to win, wins the series. They're 40 and four, 19 and two in the SEC. Remarkable run continues, but I got to say Auburn acquitted itself about as well as it possibly could have in a series loss. I don't think they want to talk about moral victories. I'm not here to suggest it really was. There were some tangible benefits from this uh, and we can get into all of that, but I, I came away very impressed with Auburn and obviously continuing to be impressed with Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, it's about as impressive a series loss as you could possibly have, right? I mean, it was it truly was three close games. If you look, you know, under the hood on, on Friday's game, three incredibly close games. And, and I think just impressive that just as impressive that Auburn came back and played well on Saturday and Sunday because it would have really been easy to kind of mentally fold up the tent a little bit after Friday. It wasn't just that you lost 17 to four because Tennessee hit a million home runs late in the game. It's also that, you know, you had two pitcher injuries on Friday with, you know, Hayden Mullins going out with an elbow injury that, you know, in an in-game interview, Butch Thompson kind of alluded to like, yeah, it doesn't look good, even though he had not been officially evaluated. Uh, he was doing what I call the universal symbol for not good news. Hayden Mullins was doing the thing where he's, you know, shaking his arm out and wiggling his fingers and all that kind of stuff. And then later in the game, Blake Burkhalter, their arguably best relief arm, uh, pulled a hamstring, it appeared, and successfully argued to stay in the game, but then gave up a home run and was removed immediately afterward. Um, so he's more seems more day to day. But so you take that loss that was crushing, you take the injuries. You, so, you know, you're up against it the rest of the weekend. It would have been pretty easy for that team, even if obviously they're not making a conscious decision like it, it, it just would have been really easy for them to kind of fold up and not play particularly well the next two days. But they but they did. And it wasn't just that they came out and played well. They also they stood up to Tennessee in a way that a lot of teams don't. Right. I mean, you know, Tennessee in that second game you know, scored some late runs and kind of took control of that game. And it's Auburn that comes up with the bigger hits in the ninth inning, including a, a, a Bobby Pierce three-run home run that created like a kerfuffle maybe is the right word. Like there was a, he threw the bat towards the Tennessee dugout. And I don't think he meant to throw it in the dugout. I think it kind of caromed in such a way that made it carry all the way to the dugout. And then Tony Vitello went and picked up the bat and tossed it back towards the celebratory huddle at the plate it was like a minor thing that ultimately led nowhere, thankfully. But so, you know, Auburn stands really stands up to Tennessee in that, in that game and got some big hits late. And then they, they were right there again on Sunday. And it just so happened that, you know, Jordan Beck got into a ball. Right. Um, but they played about as well as you could play those last two days. And I think you're right that they probably don't want to talk about moral victories, but man, I mean, you come out of that weekend thinking that as long as Auburn can piece this thing together and can be healthy enough on the mound, which is a, an open question, uh, that they're this is going to be a team to deal with the rest of the season and you know a team that that certainly is is not going to is not going to quit and is going to be a tough out uh you talked about the auburn injuries on the mound and i i thought that tennessee i mean we we we, we know what tennessee is at this point in the year we've talked about them plenty but we're still like learning new things i mean every every week you get something new and so this week for Tennessee, what we got was that Chase Dollander did not start again, his second missed start after getting hit in the arm uh, by a line drive two weeks ago against Alabama. Uh, Blade Tidwell again started in his place. 
And a week ago, he was excellent against Florida in his first SEC start of the season. This week, he struggled with his command, uh, probably just a blip, probably just a hiccup as, as the preseason All-American gets back to, to full strength um, and 100% after that shoulder soreness that cost him the start of the season. But, you know, at the same time, it's a reminder that this is, uh, you know, it's a process. He's not all the way back yet. And, you know, progress is not always linear and, and all the rest of that. So that was one thing. The other thing is that Ben Joyce, um, the headline is that he, he, he threw 105.5 on Sunday and that that's probably the fastest pitch ever recorded in college baseball. And that, you know, only like one guy has ever thrown harder than that in major league baseball and all the rest of that. And, and that's, that's nice and all. Ben Joyce is a flamethrower. We've seen him hit some crazy numbers already this season. I frankly don't care that much that it's 105 versus 103. What I do care about is that Ben Joyce threw four scoreless innings to finish Sunday's game. That's twice as long as Tennessee had ever had asked him to throw yet this season. It was clearly his best outing, and it was probably the highest leverage situation Tennessee had inserted him into this year and kept him in. And so if he's... I don't want to say that like he, if you look at his stats, he's been very good all season long, but he just hasn't been asked to do anything like this. If, if that's going to change, if Tennessee is now going to be able to trust him in leverage situations and in lengthy leverage situations, I think that continues to change this, uh, this Tennessee pitching staff and obviously for the better. Max and Millie back there are fired up about Ben Joyce fired up in the background they had had to have their voices heard on that one um <clears throat> shout out max and millie um yeah i mean the, the tennessee bullpen i feel like has been such a under i mean in a team full of storylines right i mean you could i did a radio interview this morning and they asked me about tennessee and i just said like the guys who cover tennessee day-to-day -day are really fortunate this year because there's just so much to cover with this team there's like storylines all over the place and one of them i feel like nationally that has been under reported and I, I understandably it's not the sexiest thing but I mean their bullpen has just been really really good I mean this weekend was really the first time where it felt like somebody really got to Camden Sewell and Redmond Walsh and those two guys are not you know those are on the Tennessee grand scheme of things those guys are soft tossers you know um, and they they got got for the first time in what felt like a long time but then you you talk about Ben Joyce now being fully operational maybe you know, and Mark McLaughlin has been really good this year. You look at his peripheral numbers and they're kind of insane, honestly, how good he's been. And, you know, Kirby Connell has, has been really, really effective. And, you know, Will Mabry has come on strong. I mean, a 40 to three strikeout to walk ratio. I mean, come on. The bullpen is just, I mean, they could, they could truly do bullpen games and be totally fine because the other thing about them is that they don't, outside of Ben Joyce, like most, I guess McLaughlin and Cannell to a certain degree, but when you start to talk about Sewell and Walsh and Mabry and Xander Seacrest, who's starting some, some midweek games, like those are all guys that can give you multiple innings and that's going to make them really, really dangerous among like the million and one reasons why Tennessee is extremely dangerous as a team. Like a not insignificant part of it is how good the bullpen is and how deep the bullpen is. All right, so I mentioned that Auburn wasn't just looking at moral victories here. There were some tangible things that came out of this. 
by playing Tennessee for three games, generally your RPI goes up their number one. But by beating Tennessee on the road, your RPI is guaranteed to soar. Auburn uh, really got an RPI boost this weekend. Uh, they, they have 12 SEC wins now. They have a premium RPI. Uh, they have a, a premium strength of schedule. It's number seven. I, it is all very much breaking for them to host a regional. They haven't done that since 2010, but Auburn is number four in RPI right now. So much like I said with Virginia Tech about how being a top eight seed is, is very clearly on the board. Uh, the, the path for Auburn is, is, is definitely there. They have a big series this weekend at home against Arkansas. Previously, I, I going into this, this weekend, I kind of thought that Auburn really needed like three wins out of this uh, Arkansas-Tennessee stretch. Uh, I no longer think that. I, they're, they're doing just fine. Um, you know, they need like four wins to host. If they want to be a top eight seed, they probably need something out of the Arkansas series, but or they're going to need to do something in Hoover. But just to host, they're doing just fine. They're like, they, they basically just need to probably play 500 ball the rest of the way in the SEC, and they will, they will host. And that is part of what this weekend got them. So, yes, it's disappointing. They probably feel like they had a strong chance to win this series. They had a better chance to beat Tennessee than any other team so far this season. They didn't get it done. I'm sure they don't feel great about that, but there are real good things that came out of this weekend for Auburn. And I think that that, that can't be lost just because they, they took two, um, you know, unfortunate late losses. No, I think that's right. I mean, let's not forget that, you know, the other, the, you compare it to the series against Alabama for Tennessee, where that's the other rubber game that Tennessee has faced this year. And, you know, Alabama wins the wins. I guess it was a it was a Friday game. It was Easter weekend, so I was confused if it was a Thursday or Friday game. But yeah, Friday game, and then Tennessee just came out and just ran Alabama off the field the next two days. This was this was different. You know, um, obviously they didn't know they were going to get a rubber game until the losing the Saturday game. But um, you know, Auburn came out and competed the last two games of the series. They they didn't fold up like we talked about, and and yeah, as as a result. Things are right there. You know, don't get swept this weekend against Arkansas. Uh, you know, if you, if you pick a game off there, you really feel good because then you feel like, okay, you've, you've built something up to where you could maybe, you know, uh, lose a series against Alabama or Kentucky down the stretch and probably still be okay. So, you know, if you don't want too much pressure in the last two weekends, you know, maybe, maybe don't get swept this weekend against Arkansas. That would be probably helpful. But even if you do, like you you do have a couple of favorable series down the stretch that, that make you feel like Auburn's in pretty good shape to finish it off and end up playing at home in June. I mean, they've come close in the last decade that there've definitely been close calls. I mean, the year they had Casey Mize, his draft year, I think they were, uh, they got sent to NC state as a two seed and you know, you can't uh, NC state was number 16 that year in the, the host line and you can't line, they, they don't line it up quite that neatly, but it sure felt like they did that year. That, that was, that was an acknowledgement that it, like, Hey, Auburn, you were, you were the next team that would have hosted here. Um, that, that was probably as close as it's bit come, but you know, this is a team that's been to Omaha uh, under Butch Thompson and, you know, getting to the getting to host is a different deal than getting to Omaha. That's obviously the pinnacle, but, but to, to have that kind of regular season success, I think is significant again in the development of the program. It's such a great ballpark there on the plains. I, I, I think it would be great if Auburn is able to get this done. And it's also important to remember that this, this is a team that not just me, though me included, uh, picked to finish at or near the bottom of the SEC West. And they uh, they have absolutely 
far exceeded those expectations and are showing that they can compete with, uh, you know, even the best team in the country on the road and uh, compete very, very well. So uh, a lot to be said about the turnaround Auburn has executed uh, this year. Uh, all right, we got a lot more to get to here. We're going we're gonna to keep it moving. Uh, got, a, got a big series in the Big 12 to talk about here in a second. Uh, but first, check this out. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, Joe, let's, uh, let's go to the Big 12. And a week ago, things were much different in the Big 12 race. TCU had just been Oklahoma State in Stillwater. And, you know, I, there was a lot to feel good about, uh, you know, from a TCU perspective. They were in first place. Uh, Oklahoma State was in a tough spot. I did note that Oklahoma State controlled its own destiny, but they were, they were staring a tough slate, uh, you know, playing Texas and Texas Tech. Well, this weekend, they went to Austin. They come away with a series win. And not just a series win, they swept the series in a big, big way, did did Oklahoma State. And Oklahoma State now is in first place in the Big 12. Texas, which a week ago probably felt like it could get back into the title race in the in the Big 12. Uh, they are reeling. They are nine and nine. They're out of the title race. Uh, and just the way it all went down has to feel especially bad for the horns, but let, let's start with the pokes, Joe. Uh, they really brought their bats to Austin in a big way. Uh, and they finished the sweep at, notably on Sunday, they were down seven to nothing. Uh, what was it in the sixth or the seventh inning going into the seventh inning and they put 10 runs on the board. Griffin Dorshain finished that with a, a grand slam or, or get that gave them the lead and just a, a really big. Uh, response for Oklahoma State. 
uh, to, to go out and finish a sweep in Austin. And interestingly, that's the fourth time in seven seasons that Oklahoma State has swept Texas. So, so this is not novel, but it is a, a huge, huge, huge result for the Cowboys. Yeah, no doubt about that. And I think it's, you know, it hasn't necessarily been one-way traffic for Oklahoma State because, you know, we, we've talked about, you know, um, you know, losing a series to TCU that the previous weekend. So it's not like this, this team has just kind of been on cruise control, but it does feel like this team has been, what's the right word I'm looking for, progressing as the season has gone on. And I got asked, actually, on, on the same radio interview I referenced earlier, I, I got asked about Oklahoma State and, and what kind of, what is special about them. And I think one thing I point to, I think we saw it this weekend, is that it, it feels like a lineup that is getting better as the season goes on. And I think there's a lot of things that feed into that, right? It's it's getting healthy. So Griffin Dorshing is, is back in the lineup. It's guys who are maybe finding their footing. Rock Reggio had, had some moments this weekend, like perhaps he's coming into his own a little bit. Nolan McClain has gotten a little more comfortable. Um, you know, he's starting to come around a little more and be a little more consistent. Like the swing and miss is still very much a thing in his game. It just is going to be, but he has become a little more consistent. Um, after leveling off for a little bit, Jake Thompson has kind of started to swing it better again. Um, you know, David Mendham, who's kind of the overlooked transfer in the lineup against, uh, beside Dorshing has been really, really solid this, this year and had three more home runs over the weekend. And so it feels like a lineup that even though I look at this lineup and there's not really a superstar here like by, by most definitions, it's a pretty good lineup one through nine. And we see when they're fully operational, what they're capable of, because that's what I think what we saw over the weekend. And they were really prepared to prey on, you know, one of Texas's biggest weekend weaknesses right now, which is what are you getting in the bullpen and, and who do you trust out there? And, and boy, when, when they had their window, they really pounced because it just looked for all the world, like that, that series that we've seen a hundred times, like every year we see it a hundred times. Heck, we, we had a series like this with, with Georgia Tech and Miami that we'll talk about here shortly, where one team wins the first two games. And then in the third game, you know, the team that won the first two games just doesn't come out and play very well and they they can't sweep. It looked like that was going to be the case here. And then boy, that when that switch flipped, it um, really flipped in a big way for Oklahoma State. And I mean it's it's a huge result because this is a situation where a sweep is a really big difference from just winning two out of three in terms of things like the big 12 title race and hosting and, and all of it. Yeah, absolutely. Oklahoma state was kind of on the fringe of the hosting race a week ago. Like I figured they probably would find a way, but their RPI was an issue. Well, that got resolved. They're back into first place in, uh, in the big 12 standings. And yeah, TCU holds the, uh, the tiebreaker, but they have a game advantage on TCU right now. And uh, it's now just a six game sprint to the finish in the big 12 for both teams. And Oklahoma state has to feel good about the way it's playing. We'll get to the way TCU's playing in a minute. Uh, they're not going to feel as good coming out of this week. So just a huge momentum swing, huge momentum swing on Sunday, the way that went down. Uh, but you know, a lot to be said just about the way Oklahoma state went about its business. The first two games, they got to Pete Hansen a bit on Friday. That game was higher scoring than we would have thought. Uh, you know, Hansen and, and Justin Campbell going at it would have figured that'd be more of a pitcher's duel. Uh, Bryce Osmond was really good on Saturday. One one tricky thing here is that Victor Medeiros did leave Sunday's start um, with some sort of injury after one inning. Looked like maybe it was a back injury or something. 
Uh, we'll have to wait and see what comes of that uh, and how that affects Oklahoma State moving forward. But uh, just, a, just a big, big weekend for the Pokes uh, there in Austin. Yeah, and I mean, the, the Madero's thing will be interesting to see because that is, I mean, look, they, they showed that they can win games and compete well when they don't get the starting pitching. But you kind of thought that maybe... You know, and, and Madero's has been a has been a wild card this season. Like he's had good and good and bad, but with with Osmond now rounding into form, like it it kind of seems like Osmond. This, you know, I, you know, who knows really because he, there have been ups and downs with him. And last week against TCU, he he was just kind of okay, but the consistency is there for him in a way it hasn't been. So you looked at Campbell being as solid as could be, Bryce Osmond rounding into form a little bit with Madero's. You you just kind of were like, okay, you know. If, if we can just mitigate the bad starts, like it may, we're in pretty good shape here in the rotation. Now with his, him being injured, it does throw things a little a wrench into things a little bit. You know, we, we've talked about like in the bullpen there for Oklahoma state, but that is where they're, they are going to be a little bit vulnerable as they move forward. But um, they showed this weekend that, you know, it's something that, that they can overcome in a couple of different ways. Obviously they can, they can hit their way out of it. Uh, you know, like the flexibility in the bullpen. It, it also feels like a bullpen that's, that's starting to, to, to take form a little bit now, especially with, you know, a guy like Nolan McLean starting to feel like he's getting a little more comfortable in his role as he's continued to get, you know, healthier and more accustomed to pitching. So it feels like a lot of things are coming together for Oklahoma state. It, and it, it feels like this is going to be a photo finish in the big 12, honestly, like I, you know, if I'd believe you, if you told me that we end up with a tie atop the standings and it goes to a tiebreaker again, which is something that's happened in this league. It feels like quite a bit. And, um, it's going to be a weird Hashtag one. We've talked, one true champion. Indeed, yes, indeed. We've uh, we've talked about it before, but it bears mentioning again that you know TCU is going to be in the clubhouse last weekend of the regular season because they're at a conference last weekend, and um, you know Oklahoma State doesn't have a conference series this weekend, so there's going to be a little bit of weirdness kind of in in the race here. Um, but it would not shock me in the slightest if we end up with a situation where we're going to tiebreakers to determine the the actual champion because we ended up with a tie. 32 runs this weekend for Oklahoma State. That's a season high uh, in a three-game series. Uh, Texas, uh, that's a really rough one for them. Uh, obviously, it's really rough the way that the sweep happens because, you know, you get up seven runs in, uh, you know, after six innings and you, you figure, you know, you're on your way to a win. That is not how it went down. Uh, and now Texas has to pick themselves up. The, the thing is, a lot is still on the table that Texas wants to accomplish. It, it, it's still there. They, I, like I said, I, I, the Big Twelve is is gone for them. That's not happening. Um, but their RPI is twenty one, and I can't rule out a team with an RPI of twenty one from the hosting race. They are just five hundred in the Big Twelve. They're gonna, they would have to have a magnificent finish. But like, it's there if they can get it together. And uh, you know, the talent is still there. I don't fully understand what's gone wrong here other than clearly the pitching staff has, has not lived up to its billing. Uh, like that, that's the most obvious thing here, but it's uh, it's been confounding in, in a lot of ways to see Texas go through this. They'd had difficult series losses before, you know, obviously the series at Kansas state springs to mind, but this is the first time they'd really gotten uh, exposed at home. Uh, previously dish Falk had been a really good place for them. That obviously changed this weekend, and I mean, I don't like Texas's outlook going forward, but uh, that that especially is part of the the problem now for Texas. 
Yeah, it's kind of a weird deal because you you look at the nine and nine in the Big Twelve, and um, you know you kind of expect them when you look at the overall resume, it's going to reflect also that kind of mediocrity, and it just really doesn't. And suggest that if if this team were just two or three games better in the Big Twelve record, like uh, you know we probably wouldn't be having these types of conversations about them. But it it is reminiscent. I've made this comparison before. It is reminiscent a little bit of last year's Florida in terms of you know consensus number one coming into the season that just was good not great throughout most of the season and florida snuck in and hosted but we saw how that went it you know you you have to wonder if this starts to be kind of a the type of fate that that might face texas like maybe they get into the hosting race maybe they don't but is a quick exit coming in the postseason or do they kind of get it together a little bit because the other comparison i would have with last year's florida is there were these little windows where even as we realized okay this team is not the best team in college baseball, all capital letters, but they're still pretty good. They would have these moments and Texas has had these moments, right? I mean, they, they won a series with TCU. They have the early season performance. They're one of the only teams to beat Tennessee, you know, right? I mean, they've had these moments, but then you kind of think there's these lows where it was like the K-State series. And you're like, well, yeah, that's weird. But like, that's probably the rock bottom. And then they give a bunch of runs to air force in the midweek. And you're like, yeah, okay. That's probably the bottom. And then then you have Sunday's game where it's like, okay, this might actually be the bottom, but they keep finding it a little bit. And that's the part that's kind of troublesome is it just kind of feels like you're, you're not getting the rebound off of those, those rock bottoms, whether, you know, we want to argue which one's lower than the other. I'm not that interested in that, but they're not getting the rebound in the same way. And so you just kind of wonder if this just is, is what it is the rest of the way. This is a team that was 11 and 0 at one point. It's not like they never showed it. They showed it. It just, it, they haven't been able to sustain it. And obviously that's tough over a 56 game season and all the rest of it, but uh, they are really fighting it right now and they are running out of time to course correct, uh, especially so because they have a bye week coming up. So uh, we'll have to, we'll have to see what comes of Texas from here. Let's stay uh, in the big 12 kind of sort of uh, TCU, as we mentioned, stepped outside of big 12 play this weekend. They went to Florida state for a top 25 series in Tallahassee. And uh, it was uh, it was not a good time. <laughs> TCU had a very difficult week coming off of that that high in Stillwater. They lost on Tuesday to DBU. They go to Tallahassee. They lose ten to nothing on Friday night. Uh, Parker Messick was outstanding for Florida State. They lose a tight game seven to five uh, on Saturday. That was a game they led early. Um, but it never really established, uh, you know, who was in control of that game. And uh, they were not able to, to pull off the, the win there. And then they were losing on Sunday uh, when a combination of rain and travel curfew led that game to be canceled after four innings. Um, obviously, maybe they would have come back. It was a one-run game when it was canceled. But as it stands, it's an 0-3 week for TCU. Uh, after just a, a huge momentum lift, uh, you would think, of, of – beating Oklahoma State in Stillwater to, to take the lead in, in the Big 12. Uh, instead, they, they get hit with this and uh, now, like I've said, have fallen a game behind the Cowboys in, uh, in the Big 12 standings. And uh, they're going to have to uh, have to sprint down, this, down to finish. So I guess, Joe, you can take it either way. I mean, I, I kind of focus on TCU there. Florida State, on the other hand, uh, you know, picked up another big series win. They've been great at non-conference play. Uh, not, not as good in ACC play, but their RPI into the top 10 now. And that's a big deal. Uh, on the other hand, they're only 11 and 10 in the ACC and they're going to need to fix that, uh, if they do expect to host, but this is the kind of series that 
uh, is going to give them some margin for error and probably get uh, a regional in Tallahassee. Yeah, it was uh, <laughs> do, dealing with them in the top 25 was a weird deal last night, just to, to clue the, the listeners in because, you know, impressive two game sweep against what we had as a top 10 team with TCU coming into the weekend. So we have to reward them for that. Um, but also, yeah, 11 and 10 in the ACC it feels like a team that's kind of like careened back and forth kind of wildly this season. And just the weekend prior was, was seen losing a series to Clemson, which is, you know, one of the, one of the, the bottom teams in the ACC. So not quite sure what to make there, but what we saw of Florida state this weekend just kind of goes to show like when they are swinging the bat, well, they are going to be really difficult to beat. Now that has not been a all the time thing, or even most of the time thing for FSU that that's been the struggle, but you know, when, when they swing the bat, well, they're, they're going to be really tough. Even when Parker Messick doesn't pitch quite as well as, as he did this weekend, because seven shutout and 14 K's. I mean, they're, even though he's done that kind of thing quite a bit this season, you can't bank on that every time out, but when you score 10 runs, you can, you give yourself a lot of margin there. Um, and then even in the second game, you know, you, you get, you get big hits and seven, I mean, seven runs, that's just going to win you a lot of games with the pitching staff Florida state has. So they, they showed the upside there. They just, to your point, they just kind of need to win some ACC games. You know, um, that's, that's going to be the big thing for them, for them down the stretch is, you know, and they've got a series with Boston college coming up this weekend and that should on paper be helpful. They end the season with North Carolina, even though it is on the road, like, so there are opportunities there for them to win enough games to get in a position to, to do all of that. Um, it went poorly enough for TCU. Quickly here, they're, yep, they're also sure. only four and eight away from home. And uh, so this weekend against BC is massive for them. They have an opportunity to pick up some ACC wins because they're playing the last place team in the conference. And they have the opportunity to make that uh, you know road record look better. And I think both of those are, are hugely important. I'm not going to sit here and say they need a sweep. I never say that, but it would help. Yeah, no doubt. Um, one other thing on Florida State too, like it, I kind of liked some of the things I saw in the bullpen there with, I mean, they, they've moved Ross Dunn to a bullpen role um, and he was electric behind Messick. Now those are low, um, low intensity innings cause they were up big. And so he can really, you know, kind of air it out and just pound the strike zone, but man, did he look good. And so perhaps that, you know, that, that's a way to kind of repurpose a guy who was excellent the first six weeks or so of the season and has been less so lately. Um, Wyatt Crowell also with a really nice outing in the second game of the series. So that, um, that's a big development there. So you like, you like some of that there. Um, I was going to say with TCU, I mean, this, this week, I guess, if you include the Dallas Baptist loss, um, which figure out Dallas Baptist, um, this, this went poorly enough that I, I had kind of forgotten they beat Oklahoma state two out of three the previous weekend on the road. Like truthfully, you know, um, that slipped from my mind so quickly because of how poorly this weekend went. And it just, you know, considering having to fly out to Tallahassee, it's at a conference, like it probably feels a little bit weird to be doing that. And then to get outscored 17 to three and two losses. And then, oh, by the way, you're like in a third game and to have it get canceled, that just has to feel kind of, kind of crappy. So, um, they have this week off, which will probably be helpful before they play Oklahoma this weekend. So, um, but just not not a good couple of days. And sometimes that happens, but, um, and, and it feels like it with these mid season out of conference series, it feels like this kind of thing happens more often where it's because there, there typically are, 
a little more travel curfew situations and, and less motivation to get games in because they're not conference games. So I get it, but it, it does feel like these kinds of series sometimes in this way where it's just like, well, I don't really know what to do with that, but uh, good weekend for Florida state, still a lot of work to do there. Um, the good news for TCU is that if you can shake this off, like they did just beat Oklahoma state two weekends ago, despite me kind of forgetting it. So all the big picture and stuff they swept is still Texas there. tech the week before that five and yeah. one yeah. against te- Texas tech and Oklahoma state. And then this happened. Yeah. And you have Oklahoma at home and then Kansas uh, the weekend after that winning the big 12 titles right there, you go five and one against those two teams. Like you have to feel pretty good about it, even with Oklahoma state playing a little bit better because you have the tiebreaker and because Oklahoma state by virtue of having to play Texas tech down the stretch has a little more of a difficult path. This was also a real missed opportunity for TCU in terms of RPI. They could use a boost. If they don't win the big 12, their RPI is not going to be good enough to host. Um, they have some opportunity. Like, the, I, I think if they win enough to win the Big 12, the RPI will kind of take care of itself and they'll get rewarded a little bit for having won the Big 12. Uh, but they they missed an opportunity here uh, with a, with some road games uh, in Tallahassee. All right, let's uh, let's go back to the ACC. Uh, one other big result here to talk about, and that is Georgia Tech and Miami played this one in Atlanta. Georgia Tech won a three to one pitcher's duel on Friday night. That's not that that's not something we talk about Georgia Tech doing all that much this year. They're they're definitely more on the offensive end. Uh, they come back, they win on Saturday to clinch the series against the Canes. Uh, the Canes then came out and uh, you know won in a route kind of on on Sunday uh, to salvage the series. But this is a really big deal for Georgia Tech in a lot of different ways. Um, they now have series wins against Miami, Virginia Tech, uh, both top 10 teams there. Uh, they, they beat, um, yeah, they, they just have so many good wins here on, on this resume uh, in, in the top 25. They have 15 wins against top 50 RPI teams. Only Tennessee has that many. Nobody has more, and only Tennessee can match that. On the other hand, they have a bunch of losses that, that aren't great. Um, so they're kind of in a weird spot, but this gets them back to 500 in the ACC. There are some big developments in terms of on-field stuff for Georgia Tech that we can get to here. Uh, and for Miami, uh, they're now in a bit of a mini slide. Uh, so we'll, we'll get to them here as well. But Joe, Georgia Tech, uh, back into the top 25 after this. And um, I don't know, all kinds of intriguing. Series wins against Florida State, Georgia, Miami, and Virginia Tech. I mean, it's uh, that's pretty loud. Yeah, impressive stuff there. I mean, they, they snuck their way back into the top 25 because you look at just an even 500 in the ACC and you don't think that screams top 25, but then you, you I mean, their quality series wins, you stack up there against just about anybody in the country. So they, they ended up getting in just largely on the strength of that. And the RPI has been trying to help them. You know, the RPI has been good the whole way. It's just a matter of, are they going to win enough to back up the RPI and be able to host? But the, it's been, uh, the metrics have been trying. So uh, there is that. Um, the thing about Georgia tech is just, you know, they, they, because the pitching is what it is, it, it can't on the, on the whole, it's, it, it's tough to trust it. You know what they are. Um, their thing on the mound is more like, we just need to find as many arms as we can, that we can trust as possible. Right. And so like they know on the back end, they trust Zach Maxwell with the way they use him. It seems like they trust Dawson Brown as a reliever. The rotation, it's a little harder to come by that trust. 
but John Medich has been pretty good the last two weeks. And he's a guy who used pretty sparingly before that last year was used in a bit role. I believe he's like a division three transfer up. I think Danny Hall, when he was in the podcast, that's uh, correct. Talked- he, he has a division three transfer. He's this year's version of oh, man, who is the Texas tech guy, uh, Patrick Monteverde. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And he, you know, Medich was on the team last year and was just kind of like, eh, he didn't really get used in much. Now Georgia tech had, um, you know, a, a couple of guys with, with, um, name is this guy, brand herder, um, Andy Archer was pretty solid last year. So like they, you know, they had more definition on the pitching staff last year, I feel like. So, um, anyway, regardless, the thing here is that like, is he going to be, you know, a real dude like for them? And like, I would bet probably not, but like, I guess you can say over the last few weeks, they have found one other guy that they're at least going to give some trust to. And when you're Georgia tech and you know, you're probably going to be able to score runs against most anybody in the country. It's really just kind of about let's find as many innings as we can. And so if this is a guy who can give you four five, six quality innings with an eye towards a regional, like you'll take that. And so it's baby steps for the storage tech pitching staff, because it is such a chaotic situation from week to week that, Hey, if this is a guy that we, we can ride a hot hand on and, and hope that hand stays hot all the way into June, then then so be it. Um, I did not have John Medich as being that kind of guy on, on my, uh, my bingo card, but uh, lo and behold, here it is with, with back-to-back good starts for him. John Medich had pitched out of the bullpen uh, all season long until last week against Duke when they moved him in on the Saturday spot. He gave up two runs in five and two-thirds. And then today, or uh, this weekend rather, he um, one run in six innings, goes toe-to-toe with Carson Palmquist on Friday night. And I, I mean, it's a significant development. It also was significant that he's pitching on Friday and Chance Huff got moved to Sunday, um, trying to get Chance Huff right. He was not great on Sunday. That's part of the reason why they lost. Uh, but, you know, Georgia Tech can score with anyone. You're, you're right. They just got to find enough enough outs to, to cover it. Um, and they're in an interesting position here. Uh, you know, the RPI is really strong. Like they have the, the high end wins. Uh, they're going to need more consistency over the next month uh, to do whatever they want to do, no matter whether we're talking about hosting or just setting themselves up for success in the postseason. They need to find more consistency in the final month of the season. They go and they play Clemson uh, on the road this weekend. That's going to be a really good test for that. Clemson is a team that can beat you, uh, but they also only have six ACC wins for a reason. So if you're if you're trying to be the kind of team that uh, can host, that can do things, in the NCAA tournament, you need to go out and, and win this. This You need to build on what you did this weekend if you're Georgia Tech. Um, so I, I'm very interested in now to see them go play at Clemson. Uh, Miami, on the flip side, uh, you might remember they started the year 27-6. and six. They like took firm control of the ACC race. Uh, and now they've lost two of their last three series. Uh, they've lost four the before Sunday's win they lost four straight games and Joe that is their longest losing streak since uh I mean probably some point late last year right 2019 oh wow um so yeah that was rough uh losing four straight there before getting back on track on Sunday their RPI has slipped as a result they're still in first place in the ACC but Louisville and Virginia Tech have both closed ground um, Louisville leading the other division, Virginia Tech uh, in, in Miami's own division. So 
uh, all of a sudden here, they've become pretty inconsistent on offense. If you look at the raw numbers over the last three weeks, uh, they've scored 57 runs in three ACC series. So 57 runs in nine games is pretty solid, except that 30 of those runs have come in just two games. They won both of those games, of course. Uh, but in the other seven games, they're averaging 3.86 runs per game and they're two and five. And I mean, I guess you could point to some other things, uh, but for me, those numbers are, are pretty stark. They need to find a way to consistently get this offense going because otherwise, you know, right now, Carson Ligon, uh, who wasn't great again on Saturday, you know, he just isn't as good as he was early in the season. We talked about this. Carson Palmquist is not the kind of guy uh, that's going to give you nine innings. You know, you, you, they need their offense to help them out because otherwise the pitching staff just has to be too fine. And right now they're, they're not in that, that space. Yeah. You've hit on it there. I mean, even as they've gotten a little bit better stuff from Alejandro Rosario in the latter portion of the season, like they're just, they're asking a lot of a bullpen that still isn't, I think it's better than where it was last year, even taking Palm Coast out of the equation, but that still isn't any bullpen is getting taxed to that degree is not going to be a, a, a good path to, to, to victory and, and doing the thing kind of things they need to do. And you're right on about the offense. And I don't, it's one of the, one of the toughest things to, to kind of sort out and figure out how to talk about just because it's like, yeah, the offense isn't producing, but like they've produced in a couple of games and I, what's the difference. And it's like, I, I don't know. Like, it just is kind of a mystery. Like it, it feels like we just, we're never good in, 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 in baseball about talking, uh, talking through like why an offense isn't swing, isn't hitting when some other games they do and some they don't like, it's just kind of a baseball sometimes is as much of an art as it is a science. And so there isn't necessarily an explanation for every little thing. And, but that's, that's where they are right now. And, you know, I think we can kind of see some of this coming, right. I mean, it's, you know, we knew coming into the season, like if, you know, if Yohandi Morales isn't like a superstar and oh, by the way, he's been very, very good this year, but if, if it's not that, then where's it going to come from? And it feels like maybe that's, maybe they overperformed for a little while this season and now maybe it's hitting them in the face again. I don't know. I think you could also point at you know, Virginia tech and Georgia tech. Those series were on the road. This team plays a lot better at home. The good news, bad news of that is, you know, you've got Florida state on the road coming up in a couple of weeks, but then you get Notre Dame at home in the season. And so they're splitting their final, their final two ACC series road and home. And, and maybe that's all it is here. I mean, there's a lot of teams in college baseball this year with that kind of situation going on. And, and maybe that's ultimately where the buck stops. Of course, that makes it vitally important that, that Miami gets things in gear a little bit and ends up playing at home. They absolutely need to use this week to get right. They go home. They play North Dakota State. Uh, North Dakota State, I believe, is still leading the Summit League. I should have looked that up. Um, but they're they're a feisty team. They're a team that Miami should be taking care of this weekend. But if, if Miami doesn't take it seriously, uh, doesn't come to play, North Dakota State is a kind of team that can cause them problems, and they they really need this weekend to get right before that rivalry series in Tallahassee. Because closing against Florida State and Notre Dame, like those are two teams that can can hurt you as well. Uh, those are two really good teams. Miami is going to need to be playing at or near the top of its game. Uh, so things have gone closer in the ACC than maybe I expected a couple of weeks ago when it looked like uh, Miami was going to kind of cruise through, uh, but it is. Uh, they're, they're now facing some adversity, and I'm, I'll be interested to see how they, they handle this uh, going down the stretch run. Helpfully, North Dakota State top 100 RPI. So for Miami hosting, it is helpful that NDSU is not rolling in there with a 175 RPI, which was entirely possible when they scheduled that series. Indeed, yes. 
All right. So those were kind of the big headliner series. There was a lot else that happened this weekend. Uh, so I'm going to throw a lot of stuff at Joe here, and then we're going to kind of, we're going to kind of roll with whatever, whatever we want to take from here. So LSU uh, won a series against Georgia. LSU now back into the top 25. Uh, they walked off with that series win. Kay Doty hit a two run homer uh, in the ninth on Sunday to uh, give LSU a four, three win and uh, you know, in a rubber game and, and therefore win the series Wofford Georgia Southern and Southern Miss all lost series. And that has uh, various levels of, of implications in, in the, the, the title races and in hosting stuff for, for those teams. Uh, I will say Mercer now is in first place in the SOCON. We talked about how Wofford was in control of that conference a week ago after they went to Mercer and won a series. Well, uh, much like that big 12 series uh, race, the, the SOCON flipped in a hurry. Now, now you're looking at a sprint to the finish between Mercer and Wofford. Um, Washington upset Stanford, uh, upset the apple cart a little bit there in the Pac-12, not terribly so, but, but a tough series loss for Stanford, which loses the series on a walk-off wild pitch in extra innings in a rubber game. Uh, not what you want there. Uh, UCSB and Cal Poly, we talked about that in the preview podcast. UCSB went out, swept Cal Poly at Cal Poly for the first time since 1998. Uh, you can start the countdown to UCSB's second Big West title in the last three seasons. They have a six-game lead. The magic number is five. The Gauchos are into the top 25 for the first time this season. AM beat Vanderbilt uh, in a series that sure makes it look like there might be a college station regional. Uh, Louisville slept, swept Clemson, and that's notable because it's going to be really hard for Clemson to uh, continue its surge uh, back towards trying to get to regionals. Uh, Southeast Missouri State beat Belmont in a KOVC series. Army wrapped up the Patriot League regular season title. Ball State swept Central Michigan. We talked about that in the preview podcast. Ball State now into first place in the MAC, And Columbia extended its winning streak to 19 games. That's the longest active streak in the country. And it booked its place in the Ivy League Championship Series. Joe, take that where you want it. Yeah, a lot of stuff there. Quickly, SEMO uh, plays Oklahoma State this weekend. SEMO has a top 50 RPI. If they get a game in, in Stillwater, which is not off the table, if they get a game in Stillwater, eh, yeah, it might be interesting. We'll see. Um, I did not expect that RPI to hang around, and it did. So um, good on good on the Red Hawks. That's that there. Yeah, Stanford, uh, tough series loss against Washington. Stanford, I think, is just going to be a weird team this year. They are not dissimilar from a team like Georgia Tech. All the pitching is better, but once they get to Sunday, things get real dicey in the bullpen for Stanford. And I, I watched them, uh, you know, cycle through about a million guys on Sunday trying to figure it out and they just never got it figured out. So that was, that was tough to watch there. Not a good weekend for non-traditional hosts. You mentioned it. Um, you know, we, we kind of toyed around with the idea of, of Wofford hosting and Southern Miss is still probably in decent shape if it finishes well and ends up dominating the conference USA, but you know, not a good weekend for kind of the rest of that group, Georgia Southern, obviously, um, in that mix. So there's, there's, there's that there, uh, you mentioned A&M maybe being in the host race, TCU also fighting to get in that position, by the way, their prize for hosting a regional might be getting Texas state as their number two. So have fun with that gentlemen, uh, Texas state continues to, despite its RPI, not really moving all that much, like in working on a thin margin, like Texas state is kind of on the way to controlling the Sun Belt. 
at this point. And Texas State now available too, because there's probably not going to be an Austin regional and they had been like locked into that one. But now, uh, yeah, now College Station or, or TCU or, or someone is going to going to end up with them. And the other the other one is uh, DBU, since TBU probably isn't hosting. Like, uh, yeah, that, that's that's who you're looking at is your two seed there. And I mean, maybe yeah. maybe a chance that one of them goes to Stillwater, but uh, yeah. Yikes. Yeah, not com- not comfortable matchups there. And the last thing is LSU and Georgia. I mean, at this point, LSU just kind of is what they are, right? I mean, they haven't really figured out the defensive stuff. They're still hitting. The pitching is better because they've kind of gone with this volume play. I don't think you can overstate how important Mikhail Hilliard has been for them kind of steadying the ship on the mound. And Georgia, if they don't get great, now they won a game in which Jonathan Cannon didn't pitch great. But generally speaking, like with them, being what they are, if they don't get a great version of Jonathan Cannon or some other kind of pitching performance, um, there's just doesn't feel like there's a lot to really cling to, even though that team has been really solid this year. On Southern Miss, I would say right now they're fine to host, but the problem is they lost to UAB. UAB is one of the good middle of the road teams in CUSA. The CUSA schedule probably only stiffens from here for Southern Miss. They finish with ODU, UTSA and at Middle Tennessee State, all three of those teams are as good or better than UAB, I would say. Um, so Southern Miss needs to needs to get back on track if uh, if they intend to host. And right now, they've ended today. I think they have a hosting resume. But just what this weekend signals is that they are not unbeatable. There are Conference USA teams that can beat them. And they're going to play three more of them this season. So the good news is that, like, if they win those games, RPI is going to stay solid and, and they'll be good. Bad news is those are nine losable games, I would say. All right. We covered a lot of ground here on the Baseball America College podcast today. Uh, a very busy weekend. Like we said, there's plenty more to read over on the website. You can check out the full top 25 there uh, with Joe's write ups. You can check out off the bat, there will be plenty more throughout the week, as well as, again, we are into May. Selection Monday is like a week or a week away, a month away. Thank God it's not a week away. Uh, Plenty more college baseball to be played, and we'll have it uh, all covered for you over at BaseballAmerica.com. You can also follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. And we will be back here with another edition of the Baseball America College podcast on Thursday as we preview week 12. Uh, sneak peek of that Oregon and Oregon state they're playing their uh, their series that that rivalry series that's a big one out in the Pac-12 and uh, you know some other exciting series around the country including that Auburn and Arkansas series that we mentioned early on Uh, so a lot of of good action uh, as uh, as we get into the first full weekend of May in college baseball so make sure you are subscribed to the baseball america podcast on your favorite podcasting app be that apple podcast stitcher spotify wherever you get your podcasts you can find us hit the subscribe the follow button whatever whatever the nomenclature is and uh we come into your phone twice a week during the regular or during the season and uh again mondays and thursdays mondays with the recap thursdays with the preview so uh we really appreciate all of our subscribers uh to to the podcast here all right joe uh that's gonna do it for us for joe i'm teddy thanks for listening we'll talk to you next time